when I woke up this morning, there were two things that were true about me, whether my emotions were equal to the truth of it or not. And again, that's why we, the Bible always cautions us, especially, of course, us in Christ, to not go by our good emotions or our bad emotions. Because two things that are very true about us. And I, I noticed this as soon as I woke up, just how weak I was. Yeah, and he constantly has to teach us how weak we are, all of us. So that's, that is true, how weak I am. And just as equally as true is just how strong we are in him. Those two things uh, this morning. So I woke up and I was very weak this morning. And then I drew near because in weakness, what can we meet? What can we meet apart from him in weakness? Nothing. But we draw near to him and then instantly, 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 when we're available, we're receptive and we're entreatable, instantly, he infuses in us his strength, and his strength becomes ours. And even in that measure, we have this the beauty of fellowship. And uh, so, being very weak this morning and not knowing what's going on, just woke up and he just led me uh, to Psalm 22. And, and when we think about Psalm 22, the beauty of what Psalm 22 leads into is Psalm 23. If you read the 21st Psalm, you're going to see how there's just a, a great experience, a high and lifted up experience, and, and the beauty of that. And then by the time you get into the 22nd Psalm, you're going to see something drastically changed, right? But then delivered into the 23rd Psalm. But in Psalm 22, um, verse 22, and there's a Hebrew, there's Hebrew, and I'll read it to you uh, in, in the Hebrew here. In verse 1, and again, just so God could make it clear for us, Christ is the theme of all Scripture, period. Okay? When we talk about all Scripture, when Paul said, through, and of course it was the Holy Spirit who said it uh, through him and told him to write it in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired, it's God-breathed of God and is profitable. What makes it profitable is it's from God, okay? And we can't, and uh, we're not to mix anything with it, right? Because there again, if I'm weak and I don't submit to his strength, then I mix my thoughts, okay, with what I believe that his thoughts are, and that's confusion, right? But Christ is the theme of all Scripture. There's no question about it. And so, when you separate the human element, <laughs> the human element, okay, and that can mean that I can interpret God's thoughts in weakness apart from the strength of Christ in me, Is it be does it become way less? And it does. And I can even do that in, I can do it in just plain old weakness, but if weakness is not given over to the strength right, the proper experience, then that can enter into rebellion and stubbornness, 
Right? That's, what, that's all we could be if we're weak and we don't submit to him. Um, who's already done everything for us. So Christ, really, he is the theme of all the word of God. So, and some would say, and, and I have them and studied them, you know, that this is, this is a psalm of David. Well, if Christ is the theme of all scripture, and it's true, some of the things that he went through, he went through. But what did Christ go through in, in the measure? So when I read this, the first seven verses, and this is the first seven verses in Psalm, the first six verses, I should say, in Psalm uh, 22, they ab- absolutely refer to Christ explicitly. There's no human experience that can come to the equal of who Christ is in his person and what he accomplished on the cross. Because this is what it's saying. So if you read, even in Psalm 22, verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is, in that sense, that is Matthew 27, verse 46. There is, there is the type, and David is the type, and Christ is the anti-type. I don't know, is there any comparison there? Is there any comparison to what we go through in, in the measure of what he has gone through. So in Psalm 22, verse 1, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Has anyone ever thought that? Has anyone ever felt that? Was it a true emotion if we're in Christ? Was it a true thought? So my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from saving me from the words of my groaning. I'm groaning. My God, I cry in the daytime, and you, an- you don't answer me. And in the night, cannot be silent. Okay, these are all his thoughts and, and all his emotions. Okay. But you are holy, dwelling amid the praises of, Israel's, of, of Israel. So again, even in the King James, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my roarings, my groaning. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you, you don't hear me. And in the night season, I'm still, not, I'm still not silent because I haven't gotten the answer yet. But you are holy, O oh you that inhabit the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. Uh, in you, they trusted, and you did deliver them. They cried unto you and were delivered. They trusted in you. They weren't confounded. In other words, they weren't ashamed. But look what it says in verse 6. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the whole earth. Now, when it says that, remember Job, in the midst of his trial, he said in Job 25, verse 6, he said, I'm a worm. Everything about what I've gone through, everything I am and what I've gone through, I'm just, I'm just like I'm, I'm a worm. He said that again, too. And I believe it's Isaiah 41, verse 14. He, Isaiah, in, in that type, again, he's saying, I'm a worm. And a worm, what does it really consist of? Where do they live? What do they do? They function down. They function low. They function in the dirt. They function in the earth. And this is pointing to the fact that Christ took all of 
everything about us because he was the pure son of God. And that's why when we say in, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, when it says that he is what? God made him to be the, in, in certain translations, it'll say he made him to be the, made him to be sin for us. And really, the proper interpretation is God made him to be the sin sacrifice for us. He had to be pure and holy for him to become that sacrifice. So all of our sins, not only the actual sins, those things that we did, but all the consequences, guilt, condemnation, groaning, all these things. So he not only paid for sins, but he paid for all the effects of sins, literally, the effects. And that would go into the emotions, having to pay for what the mind thought, those thoughts of sin, and, and then they were expressed emotionally. And that's why, again, thank God for us in Christ, we walk by faith in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Our whole, our whole life, walk here, is dependent upon God's thoughts in us as we submit to him and in faith depend upon him explicitly. Then we don't go by sight, which is emotions. So the, our emotions do, do not indicate anything, honestly. And even, even our emotions that we may express to someone that, that we think so highly of, they, even those emotions that we can express, honestly, do they, in one sense, the emotions that we may have, do they even, are they even equal to the love of God? You know, and sometimes... Sometimes, honestly, there's times when we, like, and I understand this, when we can be in the midst of a trial. Was Christ in a trial? <laughs> Did he experience trials? You know, when you read the synoptics, and uh, even in, in John, when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptics, and you read the, the, the fourth gospel, John, it, what you'll see is, and when you, when you study it, that he, he didn't have just one trial and then was led to the cross. He had six different trials. And uh, six different things that are just incredible that he went through. And when we're in trials, when God is working out of us, when he's working out of our experience a false identity based upon the flesh, fleshly thinking, and so forth, and which he does with all of us, we tend to, 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 to want to reach out to those uh, that, and, and it's true, we may love them and think so highly of them. We may. We may, we may do that. And, that. and God understands that. He understands those things. He does. But what, what is that? Those, okay, when we're in a trial here, and this is where God meets us, if God's going to meet us and deal with us, what must he do? I mean, if there's going to be uh, instruction and discipline and the implementation of the word of God, what must he do? He must confront us. And so when he's confronting us and dealing with areas of us, with us in the flesh, uh, what we tend to do is we'll tend to go after those that we say in our emotions, we highly love them and think so highly of them. And I'm going to probably the reason is, is because did you ever even have a confrontation with them? Was there something in them that rubbed against you the wrong way? Or are they far off? Are they far off? 
and do you live in memories of them? Could it be those that were surrounding them? Could it be? It could it be that way? And, and what would that be? That would be, seriously, that is, is it in one sense you're reaching out? Yes. Yeah. But you, you're reaching out from a place where God is lovingly. Li- listen, if God confronts us, what does he confront us with? Who is God? God is love. I mean, he's confronting us. Okay? And those, when we're in a deep trial and God's really going after us in his love, and some, sometimes we just want to escape for a moment, it's this person. Yeah, but did you ever have in that relationship any kind of a confrontation? Was love, what true love is, ever really tested? Was it? Or was it just an emotional thing? Was it ever truly tested? Because honestly, God will test us. He tests us. Listen, and even the love that we think that we express, and and what we'll do at times, too, is we'll categorize that. We'll categorize the love that we have for certain individuals that we place above them. And the reason is, is that's an emotional thing. Not that that's bad, not that that's bad, but is the love that Christ have for me, is it the same of the, of the body of Christ? Should it be the same? The love that doesn't change, the love that he loves us with individually, and the, and, and the fact that God lo- loves us is the fact that we receive Christ as our Savior. We received all of God's love for us. Is there any difference? Is God a respecter of persons? Re- look up the word respecter in, 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 in a concordance. Look it up. God is no respecter of persons. But based upon my emotions, okay, when there's no confrontation and I'm in the midst of one, I'm going to seek someone that I never had a confrontation with and I'm going to hold them up here. I'm going to hold, I'm going to hold them up very high. Very, very high. But the fact of the matter is, is God a respecter of persons? Is he? He's not a respecter of persons. But do we have our favorites? Do we? Do we we have our favorites at times? And at times we do. But what would we base that on? Well, we would base it on emotions. But that's why, that's why we can love everybody with God's love. But the only way I can do that is, is if God has confronted me, if he's confronted me inwardly with his love, and can love flow in a proper experience to a believer who is positioned in Christ if they're not submitted to him. And the fact that I'm not submitted to him in an area and, and it may be ignorance, it may be rebellion or stubbornness, what am I going to do? I'm going to seek an emotional thing. And really, it's like an emotional escape. So I could just escape for a minute and go here in my mind and go here in this place where this person is. And I have memories of these sweet times, and there's nothing wrong with that. But, I, but will all, does God test, and does he, every relationship? Does he? Well, what's a trial? What is the trial of our faith? What is the trial? And I may be attracted to young kids. 
to young, and they're sweet, right? As much as as soon as they're born, they have this nature, but we can still love them. Psalm 58, verse 3. We can still love them, but did that child ever, you know, in your relationship with it, did they ever confront you about a single thing? Did they ever even challenge you? No. So love challenges us. Doesn't tempt us, but it tests us through the challenge. Is this love? Is it God? Is it his thoughts? Or is it just your emotions you're experiencing? You're not experiencing the mind of truth. You're experiencing the emotions of truth. And our emotions, whether they're good or bad, never equal his love for us. That's why he confronts us. Because everything that Christ did, and we're going to see, you read that 22nd Psalm, you read it. And that's what he went through for you and I, to not only position us in him through receiving him as our savior, but so that we would actually experience him individually. And sometimes when God is after us and confronting us, he wants us all to himself properly because can I even have a proper relationship even with a child or this special person in my life if love, who God is, hasn't confronted my experience? If he hasn't confronted me, is it love? Okay, now, do you think, and can we look at, we can read our Bibles. Do any of us think for once, for even one second, God's love, the love that he loves us with, that love that he loves us with, was there a cost involved? Yeah. What kind of love does God love us with? We call it, some call it unconditional love. You know what it is? It's self-sacrificial love. That involves suffering. That involves suffering. That's the truth. There's a self-sacrificial love, and it's way beyond human emotions. Way beyond it. <laughs> I don't care how good they are with us. His love, how, how far is his thought, remember, Thought, not emotions, his thought way above our thoughts. Our thoughts, okay, we make them, we make our emotions to be equal to the thought of God in our own experience. That's why we make others more important or more supreme than others in the body of Christ. I mean, even in our circle, even in our personal circles with the people, okay, if you think about it, if you think about it, What kind of love do you exchange? What kind of love is it? What kind of love? What kind of love is God in his nature? I mean, I I thought of it this morning and said, my God, there's suffering involved in self-sacrificial love. Yeah. I mean, there's there's gonna be, and thank God, even in our growth, again, that goes into the book of Numbers, there's going to be conflict. There is. You know, the elements. The cold, even in the elements, teach us. The cold hits the warm. What do you have? There's a conflict. It's all teaching us. But we may have a conflict, okay? We may have a conflict, but there's always progress. Listen, that is above any human emotion. You know why? Because God's doing the work. He's doing the work. And that's why it's it all through the Bible, especially when you get to, to Revelations chapter 2, and you look at verse 7 
11, 17, and 28, and I believe it's 3, 6, 13, uh, and 22. It's called the sevenfold hearing of that church, the church there in local assembly in that sense. The hearing of the Lord is so extremely important. Hear him. Jeez. And what is he saying? What is he saying there? It's so important for the individual because what makes up a local assembly, the whole church, it's individuals. See that in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. Individuals that hear. And hearing speaks of submission. And that's why even in Revelations 2 and verse 4, he builds them up and says, this is, you're making progress, this is it. But one thing I have against you, and it's very stern. Now he's confronting them. He confronts us with a strong love. Strong, we call it stern. It's a strong love. He's confronting us. You left your first love. You're making someone else more than me. You're making some relationship more important than others in the body of Christ. Why? Because you left the freshness and the vigor and the strength of your first love. And what he's saying is here. He said, literally what he's saying to us is, I want to confront each of us. God wants to confront each of us. And I say, I want you to hear and submit. Do you hear my self-sacrificial love that suffered at such great cost for you? And that makes him irreplaceable. Because if he is replaceable in me, I'm going to go to someone else. And then I'm going to make that someone even more. Can we say that we love everybody the same here? Can we say that? Can we say I love everybody in a certain area and then in this area the same? Can we? Because if we don't, is, is that respecting love? Is God a respecter of persons? Is he? No. So basically when you do that, or when I do that, I'm making that person more important than Christ because I'm missing him in me, in my experience. And then I'm going to categorize. Well, you know, I love all you guys, right? I love all you guys. But this person, I really love them. Yeah, and my question would be, my question would be, where are they in their growth? And those that may surround them closely, closely, I would ask, what is their age? What have they been through? Seriously, not that we don't suffer, but what have they been through? Has love confronted them? Self-sacrificial love. And then do you have, do you really have a fellowship with them? Or is it just an emotional attachment? Because those can be means of escaping confrontation with God. You leave your first love and you make someone else more important. Can we say that we love everybody the same here? Because if not, what's missing? What would be missing in us? This is some other body member who, have, who has Christ in their earthen vessel. If they are, and they are, they've received Christ. He inhabits them. I love someone better than them? Is that based upon a false thought and a false emotion? Yes. I make this person, I love all you guys, but this person, whew, I bet you, you never even, I bet you, 
and we'll leave it at that. Okay. There's a sevenfold hearing, the complete hearing in obedience that goes into not only church history, but the history of each individual, which is revealed in Revelations chapters 2 and 3. You know what starts out? 2-4. You know what starts the downward trend experientially, even in church history? They left their first love. Someone else came in and took the place. Something else or someone else took their place. Now I begin, wow. You're, you're everything to me, and, and you and I, we have this special relationship. Us two or three separate from everybody else. What is that? I mean, what is that? Is that self-sacrificial love? Is it? No. Romans 12, 9. Let love be without what? Hypocrisy, pretending. I love this person. Really, I love you guys, but not this much. Well, what are you saying? I don't love you as much as this one. Is that God? Not God at all. No. Listen, in the midst of our confrontation, in the midst of our conflict, and by the way, listen, saved or unsaved, every single person that was born, what were they born into? A conflict. Thank God we know. Because we're in Christ. What, even that conflict, even the conflict that the enemy means for our evil, God means, in Genesis 50, verse 20, for our good. Literally. But in my emotions, can my even good emotions deceive me? If they do, if I make more of my emotions than the factual, substantive love of God, literally the mind of truth, am I deceived? I am. I am. Can I think my emotions are good in respect of another person? And could that be pride? It is. Because let love be without hypocritical. What's love? What is hypocritical pretending love? Well, I say I love you, but I love this person way more. What's that? Is Christ divided? Read 1 Corinthians 1.12. Some say, I am of Paul. What's that? This person, really special to me. Listen, we have a real special fellowship. I mean, this person understands me more than anybody else. Excuse me? Is that understanding the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2.16? Is that a factual, unchanging reality? Based upon facts. Let this mind be in you, Philippians 2, 5. Oh, let esteem others. It's not other. <laughs> it's others, everybody, better than yourself, Philippians 2, 3. Stop looking on your own things, but the things of others, Philippians 2, 4. And let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Again, if you want to see, if you want to see Philippians 2, 6 through 11, you're going to see the reality of the cross, what Christ went through. But if you want the whole preponderance of the scriptures, you're going to have to read Isaiah 53, those 12 verses, and then you're going to have to read Psalm 22 to get an understanding of it, to get a complete understanding of it. So really, can I be, I'm not in my position because I'm in Christ. Christ is everything about me, right? But can I be hypocritical in my experience in comparing others? pretending that I love them. Well, why would I pretend that I love somebody in, in 
Romans 12, verse 9. Because in Revelation 2, verse 4, I personally, me, I left that first freshness of his love for me. I don't have it to give to them. So I pretend then that I love others better. Yeah. Just don't let that person fail. <laughs> don't let that person fail you. Or don't let those young ones grow up and fail you. My God, because if that's the case, then what? Is that self-sacrificial love? Is that love that suffers long? No. No. No respecter of persons. He is no respecter of persons. Let me tell you that right now. Because if we do, we respect someone else and make them more. We're even putting them above Christ based upon emotions. Okay, If that's the truth of the matter. Now, here's the thing in conflict. I thought of this this morning. And I thought of me. If this fits you, it's, it's a work of God to you individually. Okay? That's the truth. This was me and my experience. And I'm thinking from years back all the way up to now. It's like God's taking me through this whole growth process. This whole conflict. Just everything about this life. Is it a conflict? Is it? Well, Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, bring it out. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 to 6, bring it clearly out. Everything about this life is conflict. Why? Do you even know, would we even have a conflict in this sense if Christ wasn't for us and he wasn't our all? No, we just live like the rest of the world. Hey, we're just living for time and that's it. But we're going to make the best of it, aren't we? How many Christians do that? We just make the best of it what we can. You know, we think the normal Christian life is just getting by moment by moment. Day, ah, another day. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Fact of the matter is, listen, in the midst of our conflict, and we are all in it, he's got the world deceived about the conflict in Revelations 12, 9. He's got them deceived. They haven't even yet received Christ in John 16, 8 through 11. He convicts the world. He's convincing the world of sin, you're a sinner, righteousness, God, <laughs> judgment. If, if, if your sin, you, you as a sinner, with a sin nature, with sins, collides with the perfect righteousness of God and you don't have a substitute, what do you get? Judgment. That's right. Read it. John 16, 8 through 11. He's got them deceived until they come to that place. Us, okay, he, will keep, he can keep us deceived, okay, he can. And he deceives us through the pride that's in our flesh in Obadiah, verse 3. In Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction. And, and seriously, can he use the emotions to what we even think are good to lead to destruction if it's not resting upon a solid fact, Christ? You know, if the foundations be moved... Truly, can they be positionally? No, but experientially, Psalm 11, verse 3, if the foundations are moved, what will the righteous do? You know what our foundation is built upon? Christ, who is our foundation in Matthew 16, verse 18, self-sacrificial suffering love. The love that you have for each other, is there any sacrifice involved in it? Did you have to sacrifice anything? Or you just get together and it's really good. <laughs> Test it, and God will. He will. 
Because if he can't test that individual, he has you separated to test you. You ever wonder why you're separated? Why he has to separate us from certain individuals? Do you know why? Because we make more of the individual than Christ himself. Because his self-sacrificial love, we haven't heard it. Do you hear? Do you hear? Do you hear my self-sacrificial love for you? Do you hear it? I want you to hear it. Submit to it and experience it. My love for you. That's above everything. So here we are in the midst of conflict. It's a whole book of numbers. Conflict. But progress. The whole, all the types. Conflict, but progress. And this is what I, this, the thought that I had this morning was this. As God was speaking to me, counseling me with all these things. The enemy, our enemy, he's God's opponent and adversary. Is he our opponent and adversary? Listen, I wish we could make this clear. And I need, and I need the clarity too. But if you think for one second, now that you're in Christ, that your conflict is with blood and flesh, someone else, the Bible makes it clear, no, it is not. Stop playing the blame game. Because if you do, you're going to make someone else greater than Christ. That's it. It's a fact. Right? fact of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, is that what? The enemy... Is, is in closest proximity to Christ in the individual. Where do you think he showed up the most? Our enemy. Where did he, after he was booted out of heaven, after that happened in Ezekiel, the 28th chapter, verses 15 down to the end, in Isaiah 14, 12 to 15, he was kicked out. Where do you think he is right now? He has the whole world deceived. Who do you think he's closest to? He wants to be closest to those that are in Christ. And he wants to make the battle to be against blood and flesh. Does the Bible make that clear? Listen. Listen. Look at it. Listen listen to the word of God. Listen to it. Listen to his counsel about right where you're at right now. Because again, when we make the battle with people, even with believers, certain believers, we're going to make someone else better than someone else. That's what we're going to do. But you know what we're really doing? When I seek to make someone else better than the other body members, I'm seeking to make me better. Apart from Christ. Apart from hearing his self-sacrificial love for us. And that is called we division. We separate others in our experience that mean more to us, we think, than others. I don't know. Who, who did Christ think more of than each and every single one of us with the, listen, with the identical love? I'm going to tell you what that does when people do that. I'm going to tell you what it's called comparing. So that's what it's called. We compare. Well, and you know what we use to compare them? We think they're good emotions. Really, when we compare, are those truly good emotions? They're not good emotions. They're not at all. Those emotions, are they good? Are they real? Are they true? No. No. They wouldn't be. Is that the fruit of the Holy Spirit flowing in my experience in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23? Love, joy, peace. 
Who hasn't Christ won that for with me in terms of everybody that are his? That's why it's called one body. Read Ephesians chapter 4, especially 4 through 6. It's one body, one love, one God, right? So do we compare? Is that wise? Is it wise to compare? Is there any wisdom in comparing? Is there? No. And is wisdom Christ? And where does wisdom flow from? Love. Love. Oh, boy, I got to tell you. It's not wise. Comparing ourselves by ourselves is not wise. What? And commending ourselves by ourselves, right? Well, based upon my bad experience and what I think is bad and what I think is against me, is God working for me out things that are in me that are against him and I want to escape and go to someone else in my mind? Is that even a true relationship? It's not. The enemy is in closest proximity to us that are in Christ. I'm going to tell you that right now. And you know how he does it? He accuses the believer. Do you think he just accuses you? Or would he deceive you and think that others are accusing you? Could that be the case? Could it be? And is that a lie? Is that the enemy? Then you want to escape. Then you've got to get away from that and go around. I don't know. Is God present with you? In you? Right where you are right now. Is that all the love of God in you through Christ? Is it different, that same love? I don't know. You know, all those secret sins and all those things that we hate, that we hated about us, that we received forgiveness for, the flow of his love, restoring us again to a proper relationship. Is that the forgiveness that operates on us? Because if we don't forgive, what are we going to do? We're going to make others better than others. We are. But really, it's about the self-life. We're making our self-life and using that other individual to make me better than them, <laughs> to escape it. The enemy is, is, is in closest proximity to Christ. Let me ask you this. Now, how close, until he was revealed, was Judas with Christ? Did he go everywhere? Did he? Did he see all the miracles? Did he see everything that God did? How many think Judas was born again, was he? Absolutely not. But he went everywhere. Well, who was Judas? Was he an instrument for Satan? Yep, he was. And again, we have the flesh in us in Romans 8, 9, but we're not of it. But can it be an instrument when we, when we don't function in Christ, receive his self-sacrificial love, can I be, through the flesh, an instrument of the enemy? And you know what he does? He wants to divide. I'm going to give these people this much love. But these, I don't know, can we honestly look at each individual in the honesty of transparency in God's presence and say we love everyone the same like he does? In Christ. Can we say that? Because if we can't, what are we doing? We're holding back an area of self. And it's just like Peter. We can all, we're all born again, but can we follow him afar off on a hill 
in, in Matthew 26, all the disciples forsook him in, in 26, 56 of Matthew. But Peter was one. He followed him afar off on a hill. In 58 of Matthew 26. And what was that hill called? Self-preservation. I'm going to preserve me. And then I'm going to preserve this person. And we're going to have this special love and relationship. Is that one body? One love, one baptism in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. He just, he just wants to free us up in the freedom of who we are in our own individuality. That's all he wants to do. Okay? He's not against us, he's for us. And but as close, as close as Christ is with us, is that an unbreakable bond? Then what why does he allow the conflict? Why does he allow the conflict? Do you think we would even understand the need that we constantly have without the conflict? We wouldn't. We would so settle down and leave him so quickly. We would. We would forget him in a heartbeat if it wasn't for that. But he's forming in us in time for the most incredible, intimate relationship with him. But I have to say... There's beautiful suffering. There is righteous suffering in love and doing it the right way. Yeah, there's suffering that we all have, you know. But suffering with him in 2 Timothy 2.12 means we always reign. And even if, I, even if that person that I love doesn't return the love, should it stop my love? I can't fellowship with them because they won't let me. But should it change my love? Not if I have Christ in my experience. I won't touch it. Just won't touch it. Look how secure we are in our position. He wants to bring that into our experience so that we don't escape him by going around what we think we can get away from the confrontation around to somebody else. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. We categorize it. 1 Corinthians 1, 12, some say I am of Paul. Boy, we all have a, we have a special fellowship. You know, our little group, our little private thing, boy, we understand each other really well, more than anybody else, don't we? Some say I am of Paul. Wow. Some say, I'm, I, some say I am of Apollos. What's that? Well, Paul spoke with a speech that was contemptible. I, mean, I don't like the way he presented the gospel. I didn't like that. Like where to choose who, who God should, should be under shepherds over us. God leaves that up to us, up to our flesh, right? <laughs> how, does that, how often does that happen? Then we compare. Yeah? Some say, I love Apollos. Didn't near know the truth like Paul did, but boy, he could say it so easy and so nice. And boy, we had a special relationship. Some say, I am of Peter. Oh, that guy, God, he was up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. What a surprise that God would use a human element, a human instrument, a human vessel, but still not be limited by that human vessel. Wow. Wow. And I, but I would make more of the vessel than the treasure because I don't have it in my experience. I want to go to someone else because I think they got it made. And they even, God, God, where are they even in their growth? Where are the children even in their growth? 
don't know, are those the things you miss? You're missing him in your experience. Okay, Not that you don't love them, but that's not a tested love. That isn't a confronted love. It's not, it hasn't entered into self-sacrificial love, true love. It just hasn't. And some say, I, I'm a safe as Peter, and some say, we're of the Lord. We don't need anybody else. <laughs> Is Christ divided? Listen to what it says, 1 Corinthians 1.13. Is Christ divided? Well, I'm going to love this person this much because they mean so much to me. And these people, I'm going to love them this much. Is Christ divided? It's not divided. And as close as the enemy seeks to be with us in our experience, he can't touch our position, but he comes against our experience. But God is teaching us, even in that conflict, that he is so, so welded to us in his love that it's unbreakable. That's our position, but he has to bring it into our experience. You can't do that until we see in this particular area, I have a need that only Christ can meet. And if he hasn't met it, I'm going to go to somebody else. And in that sense, am I making them and my little private little relationship better than Christ in me as an individual? You know, sooner or later, honestly, sooner or later, he's going to have his way with us. He is. He's going to have his way. No matter how we try to escape, all the, the mental plans. How many, how many of you have ever made your mental plans? They didn't come to fruition, but you <laughs> made them. You know, if they're not his, they're based upon escape. They're based upon, I don't want to be confronted. I don't want confrontation. I don't want conflict. Have fun. Because, listen, if you're a believer and you don't want to go forward, in the midst of the conflict, constantly being dependent, humble, submitted. And I just don't feel like doing it because I don't want to. Oh, wow. Well, okay. Just make sure before you leave the house, if you have a full load, to change your diapers. Okay? Because you're just being a little spoiled little baby. You want your way, and it's based upon how you feel, because how you feel is your right. <laughs> I don't know. I thought the flesh was crucified. <laughs> Moment six, one through six. Oh. So I'm going to look to someone else to pamper me. Or maybe I don't want anybody else. I just want to be alone. I want to be lonely with myself. Wow. Meanwhile, you're stuck in a high chair and your legs are going like this. You know, <laughs> That could be any of us. When I refuse the initiation of his love, that's what I function as. I want to go back to babyhood, you know? And sometimes we like young people. We, they're easier to be with, aren't they? Yeah, because where's the confrontation? Where's the relationship? Come on. Where's the relationship? You don't want to be confronted by God's adults. What are you going to do? You're going to seek to escape. You're going to seek to escape. And you're going to even escape in your memories. <laughs> Yeah, the word that I received yesterday was for me yesterday. That's going to get me through today in the different changing circumstances and situations? No, it's not. It isn't. Not even close. But no matter what, and this is what he told me today, 
Me personally, I don't know about you folks, this is what he told me. He said, listen to me, Ed, I'm going to tell you something. No matter how far you get away from me, maybe it's a rebellion, maybe it's your stubbornness, maybe it's just, it's just weakness, still haven't got there yet, experientially. Maybe it might be shame, I don't care, whatever it is. No matter how far you are, listen to this, and no matter how close you are to me, my love doesn't change. It doesn't change. What will I exchange for it? What will I exchange for that? Who will I use to replace him in my own experience? God, constantly going back. Constantly, constantly, constantly going back. Constantly going back. Why? Because I don't want to go forward. To any of us. But no matter what, how far away or how close we are, no matter what the enemy attempts to do, it doesn't change his love for us positionally, but he's got to work it into our experience. He wants us to experience reality of our position. Romans 8.37, we are more than conquerors. And what conquered us? What conquers us in our experience? The love that suffered so deeply for us. That love that suffered so deeply for personally, personally. He desires an intimate, personal experience. Do you hear? You're keeping me waiting. And all I want to do is grace you out with my self-sacrificial love. Why do you resist it? Why do you resist it? Well, thank God, and this is the truth for me. The Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who takes the things of Christ in John 16, 13, and 14, shows them unto us. And he does that in God's order, through a vessel. Like it or not. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> don't blame me. Listen, I won't blame you for your failures, your struggles. I won't blame you. Honestly, I won't. I'm not. Don't. I won't. Just don't do it to me. <laughs> okay. Let's have Christ between us. And let's always operate in self-sacrificial love. That's called, I receive forgiveness for me. That's for me, and this is for this person. Yeah, but what do you even have to forgive that person for? That you think that relationship's so special and so high. <laughs> what was worked into it? Is there any conflict? Then is there any, any purposeful reality? Is it a proper experience? The Holy Spirit of God is not bound by the limits of human instruments that he's chosen to use. He presents the truth through a vessel. There's no question about it. Through pastors and teachers, by the way. Evangelists are those that win Christ. That's their message. And it's not so simple. The complete time with the Christ is so phenomenal. That's evangelists in Ephesians 4.11. But then there's pastors and teachers. And they feed you the reality of who you are in Christ. And they're weak, frail vessels. Very weak. And God is not limited to them. Even in what they know or what they teach. He's not limited. The Holy Spirit is not limited. And not bound by the limitations of my growth. Yours either. <laughs> Thank God. We all have that in common. Babes. 1 John 2, 12 to 14, babes. Do you like fellowshipping with babes? you like being around them most? 
Do you prefer babes over young men? Do you prefer them? Do you prefer them? Yeah, they're great. They can be a blessing. But is that is that a is that a mature relationship? Is there an absolute? Is there an absolute exchange? Is there an experience with the child of a self-sacrificial love, suffering, and then you exchange this with each other and the reality of what Christ has accomplished in each of you and you fellowship around that? How much fellowship can you have with a baby, a young person, uh, an older person, maybe even in their 30s, and they're still a babe in their understanding? And when I don't want to grow up into a young man or a woman, Based upon an under-shepherd who's a spiritual dad, I'm going to want to escape that in my me- and I'm going to go back to memories. You want to live in, how many times do we live in memories? What I went through. All the bad emotions of it. You think the enemy wants that? <laughs> yes, he does. But he also wants to, re- to replace a self-sacrificial hearing and experiential love exchange. Uh-huh through trying to escape it and getting into these good emotions. Wow, this person is way up here. And all those little ones are way up here too. (laughs) Because I don't want to have a spiritual relationship as a babe with young men. And then when I become a young man, and by the way, you, the Bible makes it clear, the Hebrew, the original languages makes it clear that you haven't, honestly, and just getting to proper growth, you, as, a, as a man of God and a woman of God, you don't even reach that until, you, until the age is between 35 and 40. You haven't even begun yet. <laughs> but he's faithful, and he's the same. He's the same in our yesterday when we tried to escape him, could we? Did you escape him, really? Is he going to let you escape his love, the love of his son, at, at, at such cost for you individually? And he did it individually for each and every one of us. There's no question about it. Okay? Make him your all. Throw away the plans, the contingent plans. Because if plan A's fallen, you got plan B. <laughs> Throw them away. And let him lead you. Let him lead you in every single thing you do. And don't lose through your free will freedom and live in the bondage of self and miss that kind of love. Thank God he's not bound. He's not bound, you know. He's not bound at all. There's treasure in a vessel. And without a true shepherd, and what's a true shepherd? A true under-shepherd. There's nothing of self. There's nothing of self. It's all Christ, period. This as much as it's all Christ for all of us together. That's a true under-shepherd. That means under. That speaks of obedience, growth, submission, functioning in a gift. It speaks of labor. It speaks of suffering. It, do- it does, honestly. That's what it speaks of. Having a, re- a relationship in proper suffering, ruling and reigning with a suffering Savior. And in that sense, even in his intercession, it's the love that's completed. But does he suffer with us when we suffer righteously? Yes. He's interceding for us in Romans 8, 34, Hebrews 7, 25, and Hebrews 9, verse 24. Even with Israel and all their affliction in Isaiah 
63, verse 9. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. Suffering righteously. Not alone. Righteously. And without a true shepherd, listen to this one, and I'm going to close with this. Without a true shepherd, without a true shepherd, this is what can happen. A true under-shepherd. Right? And God is leading you. He's leading you. And he's leading me. And there's no question about it. And we're here because he's leading us. And we may thought, we may thought we made a decision on our own. But let me tell you something. That was his leading. And he doesn't make mistakes in your life and in my life. They're not mistakes. Okay? He bypasses all those. Now, because of the cost of his, his uh, love, his suffering love. But without a true shepherd and submission to the shepherd who is fixed in Ephesians 4, 8, to the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, the sheep are left to themselves. They begin to interpret their own life. They become self-interpreters without a true shepherd. You know what they can do? And this is what happened with, was happening with Peter and what can happen to us. In 2 Peter 3, Verse 16, it says this, as in all his epistles, and those are the Pauline epistles, they were given to the risen Christ, to Paul, to each and every one of us as individuals. And do we know them without a true shepherd? Do, can we have a proper experience without it, without being led? In all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which some things are what? Hard to be understood. See, a man that has a gift has the skill and gentleness of Christ to present it because it has to be presented to him first. If I don't have the skill to do it and I don't have a true shepherd, I'm left to my own. Is the enemy right there, close, waiting to come into the experience? Oh, boy. Here's what can happen. When they're hard to be understood, look at what it says, which they that are unlearned and ignorant and unstable... No good emotion. Not good emotions. Why? Up and down, up and down. No stability. Why? Thoughts aren't right. Which are unstable rest. You tear them out, as they do also other scriptures unto their own destruction. Did you know that? Yeah. He'll make those emotions and those bad thoughts to be very destructive. But thank God, God sent his word in Psalm 107, verse 20, and he healed them. And that's what we want to get away from. That's what we want to escape. And he delivered them from all their destructions because Christ put on humanity in John 1, verse 14. He did it for ourselves. Listen, we either, we either lead ourselves in deception or we follow a leader. And that's Proverbs, again, 13, 20, and the, B, the A part of Jeremiah 5, verse 5. Listen, he loves us, and he doesn't want anything interfering with that love and our experience. He loves us, and thank you, Lord, for your great love. In Jesus' name, amen.